Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Love listening to this podcast. Ever wonder what it's like to create a listening experience like this week to week? Do your friends always tell you, you should do your own podcast? Well, now this is your chance. Our podcast network, Podcast One, is looking for the next podcast star. Think it could be you? Enter the self-made podcast competition now and find out. Visit launchpad1.com slash self-made for a chance to win a contract with Podcast One valued at over $100,000 in promotion and so much more. Enter now until September 3rd and tell all your friends to listen and download. Check out the official rules and sign up for your chance to win at launchpad1.com slash self-made. Organifi helps you if you've got a busy schedule. It's tough to get all the nutrients you need, even if you have the time to juice vegetables or eat huge salads. And then, of course, not all plants are created equal. That's right. Um, Organifi makes the choices easy. If you're like me, the importance of eating healthy is something that you want to do, but you don't have always the time to focus on. With Organifi's superfood blends, it make it easy, enjoyable to add more variety and nutrition to your day. Delicious organic powders you can add to water, stir with a spoon, enjoy any time for, for good nutrition. So what you can do is go to Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, Organifi.com slash Drew, and use the code Drew for 20% off your entire order. That is Organifi.com slash Drew for 20% off your entire order that's right. Attend your nutrition. We all know that's important, and this is the way to do it. Organifi.com slash Drew. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate your support. Support the people that support us. Don't forget to check out uh, Instagram, Dr. Drew Pinsky, uh, Drew Pinsky. And, of course, uh, there's I'm doing some TikTok once in a while. A bunch of people turned up on a TikTok Live the other day, and, of course, well, my wife uh, will will excoriate me if I don't mention her streaming show, which uh, we do most days. You can get it at drdrew.tv. Today, we're talking to Bernadine Freed. She is uh, bernadinefried.com is where you can find her website. The treatment facility is Red Door Life Recovery. And Dave Navarro has come along for the ride. <laughs> yes, Dave, I have. Nice I, to you, see you. And they both came in. I'm so used to doing Zoom in the day of COVID. I, I walked in today and was like, so delighted. It's like, oh, my God, real people. Well, well, like, and my buddy Dave's here. Well, Holy typically, shit, uh, when it comes to a podcast, I love to Zoom in. I get to do more of them because right. it's I easier. get to do it from home. It's easier. But it's you. I was like, I got to come in and say hi. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And um, do you want to mention the, the charity in December just as long as we're talking about stuff? And- yeah, actually, in December, every uh, – well – as opposed to last year, which was COVID, you know, annihilated everything. But uh, I run an organization with my partner, Billy Morrison, called Above Ground. And that's a, uh, it's a concert we put on every year. And Dr. Drew has been there both years. And, and, and It's did, a great concert. Yeah, thank you. And we raised, we raised funds to uh, help people with mental health and get them into treatment. And all that money that gets raised, <clears throat> excuse me, goes into helping people get into beds and recovery. And we did an auction even last time. That's too. right. We, so we, have, yeah. we hire a bunch of artists. They do yeah. paintings. They do auctions. And there's memorabilia, musical gear. And are you, gonna, are you going to fly from your scapula again? You know that freaks me out. Does yeah. it really? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Was that the first time you've seen something like that? <laughs> it's the first time I'd seen somebody I cared about. <laughs> and it was like, Jesus. 
And I, and I know I get it. I get yeah. it. Yeah, because we talked a little bit about it while yeah. you were doing it. I get it. It still looks so dangerous. What, what he's talking about, for those of you who don't know what he, what he means, is I do suspension where they they pierce the back, the skin with hooks, and then they raise you off the ground and they just raise you off the ground. He's flying he's, thirty <laughs> feet over the air over yeah. this gigantic stage. But, but you're it, desensitized. It, well, it's exhilarating. There's it, almost like there's a transcendence from the pain. Oh, stop that, it. What, what do you mean? <laughs> because that just that, like the tattooing and piercing and all that all kind of goes in that same zone. Doesn't it? it does, but yeah. with the suspension, there really is actually a spiritual element to it. The free part, yeah. Free and it's, part. it's thousands and thousands of years old. It was started. Really? By, yeah, yeah. The American no Indians. Used oh, that's to do right. It. They did it from their chest. from their chest. Yeah. Hokey yeah. Paw was called. Yeah. So yeah, it's a beautiful practice. Oh, good. I see you've changed my attitude about it. Just, just in one quick <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right, I'll still worry about it, but I'll feel a lot better about it. Uh, so there are easier ways to the path of enlightenment, though. I will put that out. <laughs> as long as we're with you before I go to Bernie, everything good with you? you anything yeah. to report? Uh, where can we find you? Um, all I have is Instagram, Dave Navarro. I, I kind of dumped all social media. Um, Wise. I just felt like – It's so toxic. I think it's really a toxic thing, yeah. and I don't really I, – I didn't like what it was doing to me, uh. and I don't like what I see it doing to people I care about. Mm. And I just, I just felt that – one thing is enough, you know, because I found myself toggling between texts, emails, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, back and forth, back and forth, and it was making me insane. You know what else? I'm I'm just I'm zeroing in on you as we're sitting here, and I know you well enough to know kind of when your mood stuff is struggling. And yeah. when you, you seem great right now. I feel good. Yeah. Is there anything you can report that other people could benefit from? You know what I mean? Anything? Because this has been an interesting thing for you the yeah. mood mood disturbances primarily Absolutely. Yeah. i struggle with yeah. mental health issues yeah. and have uh, my whole life and actually bernie here has been my therapist for close to 30 years oh no i did not know that yeah. well, congratulations that's why, that's why you've I'm done here. a great job with him thank you really really yeah no no kidding i mean that's uh whew. yeah so there there yeah there there have been a, i've been just working a lot you know self-care is is the is priority number one and my wife's been bugging you to come on my streaming show. And, yeah. And she mentioned, I'm just remembering in passing something about hallucinogenics yeah. being overly sort of optimistically framed. Well, I, I think that what I was talking to her about is that a lot of people come out and talk about how psychedelics cured their depression right. or or helped them, uh, you know, with their, their mental yeah, yeah. What, and. There is truth to that, but what I wanted to talk about, and when we talk about it, is there's it's it's not that simple. There's right. there's a lot of really hard, deep, profound work that goes into getting someplace, and I don't like the message of of take, take psychedelics yeah. and your depression is yeah. going to be cured because yeah. that could set up a kid up for a dangerous scenario. In, in yeah. not, go ahead, Brian. There's a lot. What I was going to say on that is there's a lot of criteria that needs to go into the assessment to even 100%. see. And the protocol itself of somebody who's being administered psychedelic medicine, there needs to be like a ceremonial component i believe and, and let me sort of frame it also this way it's like everyone is very topical on the the issue of vaccine risk reward mm-hmm. uh, there's a risk reward analysis yes. in Absolutely. all of these Without things question. And, and you you got to do that so carefully personally it scares the shit out of me <laughs> yeah. personally yeah now yeah, if yeah. you're struggling with mood things and you've you know really at your or ptsd or something Absolutely. and you're at your wit's end I understand you're going to reach for things, but just to head on down to Costa Rica because, mm. hey, I'm no. enlightened. Right, and absolutely. And yeah. then if I could just add in, like, 
I've tried everything. I've been to rehab 15 times. I've seen psychiatrists. I've seen, you know, Bernie and I have worked together in cognitive therapy for a long, long time. We were it's doing ketamine last time. We were doing talking. ketamine yeah, last ketamine. time, too, to try and treat. Did that, uh, that help for a while? Can. It, it did help, but it wasn't, there wasn't really a path to a. Sustained. Uh, yeah, because the integration of something like that where you're just completely offline in your yeah, brain, yeah. it's hard to integrate that oh, experience. Oh, interesting. So for me, what I, wanted, what I was talking to your wife about was that with the psychedelic work, a lot of things are really vital. Yeah. Set Setting intention, going yeah. into it, being held in a safe space mm-hmm. with people, with a co-facilitator mm-hmm. or two that understand what you're working on. And then most important is the work that follows the experience which is the integration, the therapy, the continued work on whatever the issue you were you were addressing. I interviewed uh, the, the founder of Maps. Um, uh, the approach to Doblin, Rick Doblin, Rick Doblin, and yeah. he had just completed the uh, MDMA study. Oh, the clinical trial three. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, he could only talk about it in sort of peripheral ways, but that data was very, very good. And again, for people that have tried everything else, yes. recalcitrant PTSD yes. in the proper hands. Looks really good. That's yes. right, and I'm that. I sign off on that. I'm, yeah. I'm like, yeah. If you're if you fit that criteria, absolutely, it's on. That's but a great way to consider. I think it's, um, and this is where you know the people I work with, the population. I tend to work with really high acuity and people that have complex PTSD, been in treatment maybe twenty, thirty times. I don't. You too. It's me. It's my group. <laughs> I know, right? We're we're comrades mm. um, in this fight, really. And I've tried every, you know, I'm trained in EMDR, I'm an equine therapist, um, attachment focused. So everything. You just have, you have a bunch of stuff in your, in your quiver. I do. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so that's why I was even willing to consider going down that road, even oh, the, the be, whole the, the idea of considering that for clients yeah. and with ketamine now being so available. Yeah. I worry um, about ketamine a little bit, and I worried about you with it too, because I've seen yeah. it kind of trigger people, and and I, I, you know, and it's just like, yeah, work with their mood, but it kind of put them in that, that space again. Where I could tell their thinking was well, awful. It, it tends to be really clinical, yeah, and it tends to pathologize the the, the client in a way. Because oh, interesting. So you become I, a medical problem. Yes, yeah. I, I'm something's wrong with me. I'm yeah, here yeah. in this clinical environment mm-hmm. to do this thing. That's why I say, again, I focus on the set setting intention and the integration because that's the real work and the real healing isn't in the experience. It's in what you've learned from the experience and how you put that into practice into your life. your life. So, so Dave is sort of flirting with a profound and difficult terrain there, which is, yeah. you know, how do we get people to sort of participate in their treatment? How do they get to the place where that kind of insight motivates ongoing work? And well, I think you have to work prep. Actually, how does the work actually happen? Because a lot of people can talk like that and then mm-hmm. not do the work. You know, it's, right. it's, it's a, it, this is the magical spot for me, which is how do you get, you know, it's like they used to say the old joke, how do you get a, uh, how many psychiatrists, you know, take to screw in a light bulb, you know, one, but they have to want to screw the light bulb in. You know what I mean? It's like exactly. And, exactly. and that issue of that wanting, motivating, uh, whatever that magic is that the human spirit becomes willing to change. I mm. guess it's the change. That it's is, the transformative yeah. part that happens not necessarily, as Dave pointed out so eloquently, in the actual medicine experience. Right. It's the integration afterward because so much – emphasis is placed on, oh, this person's blasted out on these drugs and everybody's so 
hyper-focused on that. And I believe missing the bigger piece, which is when you have a history of trauma, that you actually feel safe in your body. And then being an EMDR therapist, too, for me, what I often do, as Dave pointed out, too, is in, in the integration, I like to bring in what they learned from the actual journey. So, so, it's a, the, so there's sort of a cognitive processing at the end of the experience. Well, it's, it's being able to hold positive affect because at, with traumas, we know it, there's an inability to hold positive affect. You know, the other thing, this, this integrating phenomenon, I had a weird, in my own therapy, which was very emotionally focused. Some, oh, some yeah. I love that. EFT. I do too. I do I too. I love EFT. It's and, great. And... and but I had to have a cognitive frame before I felt safe going in. Oh, interesting. So I noticed it through therapy. Mm. I kept always like, I want to understand. I want to understand. I want to understand. You're up and then, here. And then once I got it up here, then I could walk into the experience. Mm. Very weird. But that's really? me. That but was me. The one thing I wanted to add about that also with the psychedelic work is that it is part of a multidisciplinary <laughs> approach. Yes. It's not just the psychedelic experience. I also have yes. a therapist. I also practice yoga. I do breath work. There's a, there's a number of things – that I, I have to do for myself to feel in my body safe and whole. And I think that what Bernie was talking about with the safety aspect and being someone who survived a lot of trauma in my life, with the psychedelic journey, I'm able to access some of those scarier, uh, more traumatic moments in my life because I feel safe and health. Do you want to mention your documentary if anybody wants to hear more about your traumas? Oh, <laughs> that was a good yeah. segue. Uh, I, yeah, I did a documentary. It's amazing. About, By the way, I love that. It's documentary. Thank you so much. I did it's a, incredible. a documentary about the uh, murder of my mother when I was 15 years old. It's called Morning Sun. M O U R N I N G S O N. And uh, I, you know, I struggled with putting that out, but I, I really felt that it could hopefully help people feel less alone that are going through similar oh situations. My oh boy. So morning, uh, I I get the feeling um, I haven't even gotten into what I want to get into today. Yet, but there's so much stuff, <laughs> but 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 I this is a wholly other path, and we'll try to make it short. <clears throat> but I feel like one of the and I mentioned wanting to change and, and getting the human engaged in it. I feel like grief is one of the primary blocks. Like people, p- humans will do anything not to feel grief. Oh, yeah. And I deal with it all the time with families with yeah. you know advanced aging and all this stuff. And they, they, we just, even now with the day of COVID, we're not dealing with grief properly at all. No. And in order to change, real change, you have to, a part of you has to die. You have to feel the grief mm-hmm. and you have to mm-hmm. move into whatever it is you're meant to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally experienced, I swear to God, I was yes. depressed for a little bit about two years in my therapy mm. and I didn't even realize it. Yeah. And when I was looking back, I'm like, you know, I think I've been depressed for a couple of years, but but I've been changing like an MFR. And it's because of that change that I was having this sort of grief reaction. And um, I, I don't know how we get through well, that. I, with, I think maybe there's all the spiritual stuff maybe helpful, but go ahead. I, well, right. one of the things I was going to say is unfortunately the culture doesn't make room for loss and death. There isn't really a narrative. We're in denial about it. Right. So there's this illusion of just forever land. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there isn't really the ability to frame it for people so that when it actually happens and we come close to losing people or actually death, I think people tend to be in shock for a lot of it. And 
they talk about, you know, of course, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages, the first one being denial. And so that, that level of being sort of numb and out of it, I think that as a therapist myself and holding space for them, I think it's critical that you find a spiritual way into that for them. And, and holding space, uh, I'm sure, Dave, you understand this, but, but most people don't really understand what that is. Holding the frame. Yeah, yeah that, that's that, what I do. That is – the people – I want to emphasize this. If you, if you look back at we're, – we're coming up on the 500th episode here, right, Gary? Yes? <laughs> Gary's not listening. He's listening to music. <laughs> so, but I think we're coming up on the 500th episode soon. And, and – uh, if you look back across most of these podcasts, you will see me talking about the power of two skulls, brains yes. changing other brains. I love that. Mm. Uh, and, and we don't change by ourselves. We just don't. Uh, and, and we need that frame first and yes. and the safety of that frame and the, and the intensity of focus and, and attunement that's necessary for the actual other brain to start to grow. And I, that's another thing we don't make enough, enough well, of. In that's attachment-focused therapy is all about feeling seen and just gazing in the dyadic relationship of just the therapist and the client. So much happens just with that. And I can tell you, unfortunately, through the whole COVID thing, being on Zoom, which is easy, seemingly easy, we miss so much. And yet I totally agree with you. It's two bodies in space that are necessary. But Zoom yes. accomplished way more than I thought it would. Me too. <laughs> it's impressive. I mean, the hell it's out of doable. Me. Yeah, it was but, like, but because a lot of what we do is cognitive behavioral stuff, and you yeah. can do that across Zoom for sure. Um, but we got to be in the room. You got to be in the room. Hey, let me quickly speaking of being in the room before I forget. Gary. Okay, good. We've been talking to you, but we're coming up on our 500th episode, right? We're getting there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is the gentleman's name that brought this table out? This is an we've cha- the whole studio has changed here, and I've been, been neglecting to, to talk about this. His Instagram is at pins underscore tails. Oh my god! He, thank you, uh, pins underscore tails, mm-hmm. because this is the most amazing improvement in this studio since the actual walls were built. Uh, and and I'm glad we're having this sort of conversation um, at this table because. Part of the attunement is what we can do face to face here. Before the table was a, a linear thing, we were side uh, by side. Oh yeah, that doesn't yeah, work. No, no, no. no, no, no. If, I could, if I could just chime in on the grief thing yeah, before we please. move on, is that what I've learned because I've had my share of traumatic experiences mm-hmm. is that as people struggling with trauma, we do everything we can to avoid grief. Oh, we yeah. do everything yeah. we yeah. can to not feel it, to yeah. distract. That's what helps or you know helps people fall into addictive behaviors oh, that yeah. are detrimental and oh, yeah. and, and destructive mm-hmm. and <clears throat> grief is actually a gift for healing you have to be willing oh, man, you are you, right you have to be willing mm-hmm. to feel it is that something new for you to have walked into grief or you've been aware of that for a while i've actually started doing a lot of grief work interesting and mm-hmm. uh you know it, it is and and i've actually had sessions where they are designed for me to grieve. Wow. As openly, as freely, as vulnerable as I could be. Is it interesting that we're getting into this topic right when you're in the middle of it? Um, if you look at the big – if you zoom out into the big picture, it's not that shocking. It's actually yeah. right on the money, spiritually and, and, speaking. And I would say that that the fundamental – if you're having trouble processing what we're talking about here, um, if you've had a major trauma, let's say it's at the hands of a caretaker – the the illusion that caretakers are 
omnipotent and completely available for your safety and your well-being shatters. And that's the first thing that must be grieved. Yeah. Yes. And, and that's that's the tough that's one. That's the That's the tough one. one. There's many other griefs that also have to be had. The world's not safe. I'm not who I thought I was. All that stuff <laughs> needs to be grieved. But the one with the caretaker is the one that's really rough. And the grieving of that, of the parent that you wish you had. Exactly forces you to go inside and have your own inner parent, which is kind of more like IFS work, which I'm also I guess I don't know what, what's IFS. Oh, in, in, internal in, in, family systems. Got it. Where, yeah, the reparenting inner parent. Which, which to some extent, you know, the, the holding the frame, the EFT, all that stuff has the elements of all these things. It does. Yeah. And the other thing that bothers me – well, now let's get into the, the, the treatment part of this. And by the way, although we're talking about important landscape, one of the art, the artistic elements in uh, what we're discussing is when to apply these various treatments for a given individual in a given state of treatment. It's really like, good point. Like if we – Take uh, a meth addict <clears throat> fresh off, you know, a two-year run, and try to do this stuff. A, it's not going to work, and B, it might make things worse. Absolutely, uh, and, and there are variations Truly. on that theme. A heroin addict or an opiate addict new, new in. Not, you know, there's usually a lot of trauma with the opiate addicts, yeah. and the trauma that can be in, can be inciting and make things worse. First, we got to get them sober. We got to get them stable in sobriety. We got there's all kinds of there's stages to these things. Absolutely, um, important. And, and this is what when when. Um, I see people out there uh, saying things like, you're missing the root cause of, tra- of uh, addiction. It's trauma. Yeah, yeah. If you have bad enough addiction that you need to see me or Bernie, yeah, you have childhood trauma for sure. 100%. For sure. And you're a drug addict. 100%. In fact, I was giving a lecture one time and I was going to say 100%. that. And uh, and a colleague of mine said, don't don't say always. Don't say always. I went, okay. So I got up to the podium and I go, you know, Dr. So-and-so advised me not to say always. So let me reframe what I'm going to say. If you're a bad enough addiction that you need to see me, it's 100% percent probability. It's not always, but 100% probability based on my experience. And in, in which case you – have no choice but to treat the addiction first. Correct, correct. And until that part of the patient or client, I should say in this case, yeah. is is stable and healed, you can't really do the deeper it's, work. And, and that's the magic of you know of a skilled team and professional is and, doing it in its proper order, in its proper time. And so the, those of you who have bought on to the world of, they just need a happy place to live or you just got to deal with their trauma. <laughs> no. It, yes. Yes. Those things are true. But it's way more involved than that. And it's a, right. it's a and by the way, a clinical practice, I don't know how you feel about this, Bernie, that very few people are trained to do, understand fully, have been exposed enough to the disease of addiction to really understand what they're facing. I, I always say that the disease of addiction in its active state is uh, is perfectly illustrated in, in Little Shop of Horrors with the Audrey II. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> the plant will eat you if you go near it. It's yes. so and, yeah. and I don't care who you are. I don't care how well-trained you are. If you go near that plant, you're going in the plant yeah. and you'll be eaten. And that's the nature of what the disease does. It pulls in everything around it and not because the patient wants it that way. It's because that's how the disease Absolutely. operates. But I love, so. that you re- I love that you brought that up in and the way you brought it up because um, a lot of people don't realize that. And I think that the idea of how do you not take that personally, making it about you, Mm -hmm. like you 
my I have have no ego in this. You know, my ego got squashed a long time ago. I couldn't even be in this field and working with the kind of clients I work with if my ego was in it. And, and I I hundred percent agree with you. And, and to the point about the the plant that eats people, uh, um, it's it's it also if you remember the movie or the play, somebody could pull you back out. Yeah, yeah. That's what your sponsor is, and you're Al Anon Recovery, everybody. And you have to have that person, or you go in the fucking plant. And so you got to have somebody pulling you out. And so I used to when I saw patients, you know, in large numbers, which is I ran, I ran a large treatment center for many, many, many years. Yes. And and I would have my nurse always sitting behind me. And when I would start to go in the plant or get into the tentacles of my borderline patients, which is a little different issue, <laughs> she'd kick my chair. That's not Shelly. Are you not talking no, about no, Shelly? Sasha. Sasha. Oh, okay, okay. Shelly, Shelly could do the same Shelly. function yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure, for I sure, for sure. Uh, Shelly would be – I didn't want to – you know, we're doing the medical part at that point. I, Shelly's too busy doing a lot of the stuff right now. I know, I know. And so, and so my, my nurse needed to hear all this and would be with me, and she would just kick my chair, and it would just, it would just be enough to pull me back. Go, oh, I'm going in. I'm going in. Okay. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, I, I, it's interesting because working in the field as long as I have, I mean, I've been sober since 87, you know, so a long time. Um, but working in treatment, you know, we really believed at the red door of employing people that are in recovery. Oh, you have to. Well, you don't have to have all recovering people, but recovering people have got to be omnipresent. Um, exactly. <laughs> so, so I can't tell you how many times that I, I go into a session. I go, you know, I, I, I see my job early on. I, obviously, I'm taking care of the medical stuff. And you've got to have the medical people oh, in there. Oh, you do, you do. You must you have do. it. For sure. And yeah. they have to know what they're doing. Yes. Those are two unusual requisites, by the way. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're going to talk about the field of I'm addiction. I'm happy to talk about yeah. that. Yeah. You've got to have a physician or a medical person that understands addiction and is skilled at it and present. And in addition to managing that stuff, I always thought my job was to hold a frame for the patient, to, to wow. teach them that a frame is possible. And that it's safe. It's, that it's safe. And that, and that then they can maybe translate that to their community and their peers and their sponsors, that kind of stuff. Um, but I would often, you know, in building that frame, I would just naturally kind of drift into, particularly if I was in there alone, which was rare, but but I've been alone sometimes, I would drift into not so much the trauma, but the relationship issues yes. and things like that. And I'd come out and I'd go, Bob, like Bob Forrest, for instance. Yes. <laughs> I'd go, Bob, Bob. She was just talking about a relationship with her mom. It was great. And Bob would look at me and goes, yeah, yeah. She, she wants to get high. She wants. <laughs> you, she sees the RX sign over your head. She's telling you what you want to hear. Absolutely. She wants medication. Yes, she's she been does. at the window here constantly it's until funny, she went in that room with you. It's funny you bring that up because yeah. being someone who has been in treatment 10, 12, 15 times – at a certain point, we know what to say because 100%. addicts are the most manipulative. Fantastic. We're a, Fantastic. We can get anything done. I'll tell you, Dr. Drew, I had – at one point, I had a sober companion who I paid money to to live at my house to sit on me and watch me. Used and I still managed to, to get my dealer to drop drugs <laughs> into my it. mailbox and use with See, him there because it's so cunning and insane. And many people get horrified by that. To me, I think it's – to me, I think it's fantastic and comical. It's it like, is. oh my God, you're able to do that? Very good for you. Right. It's like, well done. But it's, it's so like, insidious. But, but it's because of the setting you were in that that's you right. shouldn't have been in the first place that's that somebody right. good should have said that's not going to work that's right. right and so but anyway so so bob so we're, the reason we're having this conversation is the importance of the sober people and so Absolutely. so even though i'm very skilled i have lots of experience i know more about this season than anybody 
I still have to come out and talk to sober people who have to straighten me out because I'm a normie yes. and I don't always think the way an addict is thinking. I can't see it all the time because it's it's always there. Disease is always there and I sometimes forget that it's always there. That's right. And that's how I get sucked in. That's how I go right. into plant. Well, right. there is there is a trust that happens with a recovering addict and someone who's in recovery. Yeah, of course. And that they can speak the same yes. language. But yes. at the same time, we do have to keep in mind that even – people in recovery that are working in, in facilities, they may or may not have addressed certain things that need to be addressed. And so we got to check. You mean their own codependency and stuff? Yeah. And their own mental health. Oh, of course. Of because course. if you're somebody who's been through recovery a million times and has the answers down and knows how to fill out the form and get the job, yeah. that's through manipulation. So we have to be even more cautious as oh, to who we bring into the facility. My, I agree. My learning curve on personnel <laughs> in a treatment center yes. was straight up over the first few years I ran a program. And lots of unfortunate things go yes. down. Yeah, that's and and, definitely. and and so I I always have you know my requirement of my requirement is five years sober minimum. Yeah, your 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 team, your sponsor, and whatever. Oftentimes it's physicians and medical. So I the nursing diversion program, the physician diversion program, got to sign off on it. Yeah. Um, all your peers, where you have coffee with at the end of the day, they got to sign off on it. You have to have an active program in either therapy or codependency recovery or something. And now we can bring you in. Now it's good. Right. And, but I used to bring people in, not so much well, earlier, but without an active uh, codependency program. And oh, my God. Oh, yeah. My God. That's definitely Ooh. happened for me. Where, you know, we're Ooh. just really, you know, the bleeding heart and feel like, Well, wow, they're skilled people. These I, people I, by, are by the way, some of my superstar, so skilled. Some of my superstar staff that helped hundreds of people, maybe even hundreds and hundreds of people before, yeah. before they, they went off. That's right. Uh, uh, and so it's, right. it's a very. And by the way, you have to be vigilant on all that stuff. And if you if you hear the slightest wind a blowing, you have to be swift and sure. Swift. Well, it also what a phenomenon. I don't mean to interrupt. What a phenomenon that I see that happens in a lot of caretakers and in that field is that because they're in the facility so many hours of the day, working with people so many hours of the day, their own care. Their own, their own meeting Correct. attendance, and Correct. it turns into just being of service, yep. and they Depletes. forget taking yep. care of themselves because they feel, hey, I'm in recovery. Hey. I'm working with people. I feel good. But there's so much they're not addressing. Look, Bob himself, Bob Forrest, he'll tell you. He developed when, – when I I brought him into this – Bob Forrest himself, I brought him in. I, I really brought him into the world of um, recovery and mental health. He had a lot of edu- – I educated him and brought – Excellent professional. But in the course of the first few years of treatment, he developed gambling addiction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he was not paying attention to this yeah. stuff. He wasn't and attending it, to his own his own recovery. His, because, his means of attending to it was going to the horses on Friday. Right. But also being so enmeshed in the facility yeah. and working with the clients leads us to believe – I'm taking care I'm of good. myself because right. this is part of our doctrine here is to right. give back to others. So after you've spent an eight, nine-hour shift, yeah. the last thing that you think to do is right. go hit a meeting. That's right. Because yeah. you've just been at the, at the facility all 100% day. 100% what it is. Right. And, and he had an interesting – burn out really easily. Oh, my God. Like Ooh, beyond. And then beyond. when the person's burnout, out, they don't – it's very hard to recognize your own burnout so that you think you've, you're on your game, but you're actually completely – fried and so i think that that's also where the other staff are able to pull them up a little bit because that's when people get really in a lot of trouble what what happened to um bob is um 
he I, I was having to he was looking at people with complex polydiagnosed mm. situations and and saying to himself because he kept saying it to me he he had a feeling that psychiatry was missing the addiction piece which is true all the time it does. but he was then saying any of us can end up in this locked unit like this guy all of us can end up like this and it's like no 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 that person also has bipolar disorder and was suicidal yes. and those things need to be attended to yes. and yes that's a second diagnosis it's a complication of and and he finally got there but but it was very tough for him at first cuz yeah. he was he was hurting for the people that he saw as should be just be able to be embracing what he had embraced and right. le- you know learn. Oh, about. he did not embrace it. Oh, I was there, dude. I was there. <laughs> it took <laughs> him about 15 years to 24 embrace 24 treatments, dude. I know. I and know. he was the guy. He was the I worst watched worst. it happen in the 80s and 90s in and out of, you know, I used to he used to come on Loveline. Yeah. And oh, finally, he was going in and out of the bathroom and I was like, oh, come what on. Are you doing? And he looked so <laughs> bad, I convinced myself that he had HIV at the time, oh. which if you see his documentary Bob and the Monster, yes, you'll see he should have had it. Wow. And I said we have to Warn this guy right now. We can't have him in here with us. We're not helping him. He's dead. To, uh, he's dying. He's going to die. There's nothing we can do about it. Just mourn it, but let's not be a part of this. And and what happened was like 15 years later, I was giving a lecture for musicians assistance program. Sure. Maps. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, and and uh, there was a guy in the front row with the hat and glasses. And uh, he was asking me all these amazing questions. And I thought, wow, I'm giving – I have this internal dialogue during the lecture. I'm like, god damn, that guy looks like Bob Forrest. Bob Forrest is dead. There's no way Forrest. No way. And oh, at, at the end, I was literally like, well, this couldn't be Bob Forrest. I don't know who this is, but man, this guy looks like Bob Forrest. And at the end, he came up and he goes, hey, you know, we had a relationship before wow. this. And I was like, ah! It was like seeing a ghost. It was Amazing. <laughs> and, I, and I thought – and I could tell right then what, 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 what this was. So I went and I followed him. He was at Passing Recovery Center in MAPS at the time. So I started talking and communicating and watching his work and stuff. And I thought, this, this is talent. So this transformation is possible. Oh, my God. You don't need to and see too many to give yourself uh, hope, for all. hope for all. That's what helps me yeah. in my work every day. Yeah, me too. Is knowing so, that. So, so Red Door Life is located in West Hollywood. If, is there a website? Actually, people... it's um, up in Bel Air and there is. Oh, it's reddoorlife.com. Um, yeah. Okay. And, uh, I, and I, I, I'm sorry I never talked to your medical director, but he seemed like oh, I Oh, I, I know you up. guys were missing. We were crossing each other and I, and I, he's I a great guy. looked he's him up. I saw him. that he's got lots of time in this treatment and he knows what he's doing. He so does. I felt comfortable Dr. with that. Dr. Mark Hansel, good guy. A- mm-hmm. And let's talk about the weaknesses of the recovery R- real uh, quick. treatment program. Uh, reddoor.life. Reddoor.life right. yeah. is the Thank website. Did I? Okay. Yeah. You said .com. No big deal. I'm sure oh, we yeah. said reddoor.life.com or something. Reddoor.life. Well, I've mentioned it before, you may be surprised that health insurance doesn't always cover the cost of an emergency medical flight, but even with comprehensive coverage, you can still get hit with deductibles, co-pays, protect your family and your finances with an Air MedCare Network membership. As a member, if an emergency arises, the expense of air medical transport is completely covered when flown by an AMCN provider. Membership costs as little as $85 a year. And it covers your whole household every day, even when you're away from home. That is just pennies a day. Now, we all know that the unexpected can happen. So be prepared with an AMCN membership. Protect your family. No family should be without an AMCN membership. And for a limited time, as a Dr. Drew podcast listener, you'll get up to a $50 e-gift card when you join. Simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash Drew and use offer code Drew.
Inside Tracker is an ultra personalized performance system that analyzes data from your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness tracker to help you optimize and reach your health and wellness goals. Inside Tracker transforms your data into knowledge and meaningful insights. That's right. They use science and technology to deliver ultra personalized guidance specifically for you. It's DNA, blood, fitness tracking, real time, and complete picture of your health and wellness. The only human performance system that integrates real-time physiomarker data from the fitness tracker with your existing blood and DNA biomarker data. So if you are interested in optimizing your health, go to insidetracker.com slash Drew, and for a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. So go to insidetracker.com slash Drew. Uh, and so, so the field, you know, when, when I was actively running a program, it was in a hospital setting and there was all kinds of, uh, I don't want to say regulation, but oversight, you know, yeah, like J- JCHO J-Co and, J-Co and, 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 yeah. and, you know, the departmental health and all of our professional societies as doctors and nurses. And we had hot and cold running psychiatrists and uh-huh. psychologists and, and internists. And we, we were just, were a full, full spectrum of care in a hospital setting. Yeah. Over the uh, 30 years I was there, excuse me, <clears throat> I always have this in the morning, since H1N1, interestingly, not since COVID. Um, but uh, – and we we slow, you know were squeezed by the insurance companies. That, that's what ended up starting happening. We couldn't do our work. Yeah. And we invented all sorts of levels of care to try to accommodate that. We had residential. We had subacute. And we had outpatient. PHP and intensive outpatient and, and partial hospital. You know, everything. We just, kept, we just kept moving to try to adjust to the circumstance. And we did a pretty good job of finding ways to render care to people. But it just got ridiculous. And that what really got me was at the end was the, op- the prescription opiate thing when I <clears> – most of my patients were chronic pain patients who were also drug addicts. Yeah. And I was taking them off pain meds. My peers would put them back on and kill them. Uh, it was just unbelievable. It was just wow. – I, I lived that so horribly. So that was the final straw in terms of me being able to to <laughs> really feel like I could run a program. And it pushed a lot of the treatment process out into the community, out yes. into outpatient services and, and residential services and sober living. To so talk a little bit about the, the um, treachery of that landscape. <laughs> So um, Red Door Life is a nonprofit. Let's start out by saying that. Nonprofit just is Cry Help or Impact or Betty Ford. All nonprofits. All nonprofits, yeah. Um, so it's through donation. Um, and it's a small um, sober living that basically is um, – I mean we are 100 percent supported by the community itself. Do, do you do – now most – one of the big changes that has come along in addiction medicine is you can really do pretty decent sort of outpatient detox well, these days. Well, what do I was you, yeah, I'm sorry, I want to get to yeah. that. Normally, what happens is because we're sober living, the people that we admit have been through residential. Residential first, have, first. not acute medical or acute psych, but they have to go to residential. They've been through a residential Meaning program, it's like 28 day or something. 28, yeah. three months, yeah. six months. So by the time they're coming to us, they're sort of more um, mobile. They have their Car. Let's let's so stop fun. though with the resident. How do you find a good residential program? Because that's well, also a treacherous. That's landscape. very treacherous and yeah. very difficult to find it because everybody and their sister claims that they're individualized and this and that. Of course. But 
it's very hard to find. And, and so even though we're a sober living, we work from a team approach because we have such high acuity. Do you have certain places you sort of trust or, or feed w- from? You mean ones that I – well – Residential programs. Um, there's just a handful of them that we know Most of. Most of them aren't in Southern California. And they're now. not. No. <laughs> I mean like let's see. I mean I've used all of them. Um, I'd like to just throw some names out that some I names, like let Some names like some – Let me. I'll, I'll, I'll make you do it. I'll do it. The Lodge at Circle Lodge. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. Uh, Springbrook in Portland. Okay. Okay. Um, the Talbot Center outside Atlanta. Yeah. Okay. These are all like oh, pretty, pretty stable, pretty traditional, pretty good. Yeah, decent. Um, decent. Sometimes Betty Ford. Sometimes, but uh, it's funny. We were <laughs> and I on our way yeah, in. We're know. talking about Betty Ford yeah. because, you know, they again now claim they're really progressive and they really can handle everything, but – I checked in there in Back 1990. Was there. It was different. Crazy. Then. Oh my god! Yeah. And now, okay, so but that just shows how far we have to go. Because yes. in 1990, I checked into Betty Ford after having a two-year methadone maintenance habit. Oh my god! At 85 milligrams. Oh my god! Can you imagine? Checked, right. I checked into Betty Ford. <laughs> they do. They're doing my pa- they did. Yes, <laughs> yes, they did, yes. Doctor Drew. They did. I filled out my paperwork oh, and I said, "How long before I can get my meds?" And they're like, "We don't medicate here." Oh, and I turned god. around. And I watched my car. Yeah. I'm in Palm <laughs> Desert. You know the the yes. ride Steer that I took away. driving away, <laughs> yeah. and I was stuck. So I did not sleep a day. It was inhumane. So, it was so let the me just worst tell you, experience if, if, of my life. The, just to frame that medical issue, uh, back then I had a rule that you couldn't come into our program unless your methadone was below ten milligrams. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I would not I would think about it at twenty, depending on the patient. Now you can transfer somebody over to Suboxone well, as an outpatient, yeah. and then you can detox Suboxone. But at, back in nineteen ninety, they wouldn't even give no. us aspirin. No, I, <laughs> I'm not kidding. So this was as cold. It took oh, me nine. Ten months to oh, kick yeah, it. To six. So my point being that the strides and the and the advancements that since then at Betty Ford to the way that they are now and present themselves now is night and day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we are but, still but, but looking they, into they, the future. They they have always done. They, I don't want to say this too. Because uh, they do a good job with certain things. They do. But they've always done a good job with alcoholics. With, al- with <laughs> their straight alcoholic, yeah. somebody that it's yeah. so rare that yeah. anybody's a pure alcoholic oh, It's these so days. funny you say that because we used to always go, God, if we just get a straight a old alcoholic, alcoholic in, but plain old alcoholic. I was the only here. junkie at that place. <laughs> it and they really weren't. They weren't ready for equipped it. at that yeah. time. It yeah. doesn't. It, it really, and very few really... places were. Let's be fair. That's true. Like, it, like I think Impact would be the only place, and they would not have known what to do even, with the methadone. But even even Exodus knew. What, even Exodus, Exodus at Daniel Freeman yeah. Hospital knew what they were doing. Well, that was a, that, that was Mike Myers. As he, he was, oh, a, yeah. he, he was an enlightened. Uh, he was a carbon guy himself. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, this, so again, the field. And you got to realize Changed. something. It's changed, but it was invented here in Southern California. Yeah. <clears throat> it really got going here. Right. And Mike Myers was one of the leaders. I heard he passed away. I, I think so, yeah. yeah. He <clears throat> did. But he, he was running the program at Los Encinas when I arrived there as wow. a resident moonlighting there. Oh, I see. And I was like, oh, what is this guy up to? This is not – I was – as a resident, I was dealing with alcoholics and heroin addicts all the time. No one ever taught me how to detox somebody. Right. And Mike had a disciplined, structured approach to getting people off drugs. I was like, well, I got to learn that. He was one of my heroes early yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, there's some incredible, like, pioneers. And in the beginning, when they used to use buprenorphine mm-hmm. as just a detox med yep. for opiates. Yep. And then now it's obviously converted into all of these maintenance. And- yeah, and, and that's controversial. I don't know if we have even time to get into that. I, I, I don't know what to yeah. do with all that sometimes. That's I, it's I, tricky. I, I, would, I would argue that fundamentally, 
the the issue is finding the right treatment for the right patient. Exactly. And and that is something that very few people are trained to exactly. do. Exactly. And so most of my peers that know how to use Suboxone are just think that's the answer. It is not yeah. the answer, ladies and gentlemen. I totally it agree. It is a I tool. Agree. It's a and tool. And it needs to be used carefully in, 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 a, yes. in a setting where you understand why you're using it for that patient, how long you're going to use it, what to expect. And it could be forever. The one I understand thing, that. The one thing not, I like about it is that it enables the addict to get out of the routine of the copying, of the using, and yeah. it gives them some, some space, yeah, and yeah. some distance oh, no, from I, that lifestyle. There's a lot to like about it. But I think that a detox from that medication is essential. essential. Otherwise, we're not getting anywhere and we're on maintenance again. Right. And, it's and, the same. Correct. And, and those of you that are on two milligrams or one milligram, I, I get it. I get it. And, and I don't know. You Just make sure you're in good hands. Yes. Um, the, um, but the thing that's disastrous in, in the landscape here in Southern California is we have – Avogadro's number of programs out there run by either people that just got sober and decide they're enlightened and now going to do the do and run programs or even worse, people that are professional and really don't understand this disease, which Mm. is frankly more disgusting to me. Uh, The the, the addict is just the addict being the addict and and shame on anybody that – Goes to a program that's run by somebody that's been sober for six months. Please don't ever do that. (laughs) Or if it's run from ego, and that's that's, I find the most toxic kinds of treatment where there's like ego attached to the treatment, and like the outcomes matter because they say something about me. Yeah, it's like it's because of them and their recovery or what they're doing. And I think that there's like this this really dangerous (laughs) element to it. Yeah, and it is like a cult. And unfortunately, in Southern California, there's many of, of those happening. And because our mission has always been helping people get like jobs, like that's my husband's passion. It's all about helping people that have been disenfranchised in their addiction and basically find meaning and purpose. And actually, as you, as we all know here, like your whole work life gets decimated. Yeah. And, and I, I, I want to, I keep, I'm sorry, I keep bringing up Bob here, but that has been his really thing lately. It's like, where can I find a place to get yes. people to go under, right understand what a checkbook is, how to get a driver's license. People don't appreciate how decimated well, not they, only that, but it been. takes somebody who is feeling terrible about themselves and gives them purpose and direction and self-esteem. I mean, you, you've got to build it back up. It's not just it, I, I actually, in my own mind, distinguish between recovery and full recovery. You know, full recovery means you're back, you're working, you're flourishing, you're engaged in some sort of psychotherapeutic process, your traumas are being managed. Dave's fully recovering. You know, it's fully yeah. – and it's an ongoing he process. Is. Oh, yes. I'll tell you. Uh, but, it's, but it's not just the recovery. But don't you think it needs to be introduced Early in the recovery, the idea of yes. thinking about oh, your yes. future self, like oh, yes. who am I going to be in terms of my work life? Because well, if that's not addressed, I think so often – and I'm sorry, I'm just going to speak about this that – and Dave and I were talking about this too. People end up doing the spin dry. They go through 20, 30, 40 treatment centers and they become like a professional patient saying all the right things. And so getting them out of the loop of that system where they're just constantly going from treatment center to treatment center um, by giving them a sense of meaning and purpose. Like we've supported and financed people starting like dog walking companies. Like we had this one client who had this idea of when people go into treatment, well, what happens to their dog, their beloved, like most only loyal animal? And so the idea was that people would watch 
dog. He would watch the dogs, and so we were helping to fund that and get that off the ground and do a charity for it. And so it's really about helping people have meaning and a sense of identity out there in the world. I, I completely agree. And yes, the, you know, one of the biggest challenges right now is getting millennials engaged in this process because they are they, hopeless and helpless and lost. And you know, uh, the, Bob was telling me the most common interaction he has now is like where he's going. Don't you want to? Do you want to sit in your patient, your mom's basement, rest your life, smoking pot? What do you want to? What do you want to do with your life? Their response is, I don't know. What do you want me to do? <laughs> I don't know what do you want me to do. Right? That's somebody who's dead inside. Exactly. And so we. You, and, and in terms of dealing with homelessness too, I, oh I, I, this this piece is paramount. It's yeah. really. Critical. I think we. I think one of my little things is at least that pertain to homelessness. We need to build communities that people can thrive in first, yes. and then translate them to the outside world. But, well, it takes acclimation too, particularly for people that are homeless and have co-occurring mental health. To actually just like, oh, well, here's a house to live in. Forget it. It never works. Never works. And without is, the – Our government <laughs> is disgusting and, and frankly murdering people it with that policy. It puts them up at a hotel and then the hotel kicks them out and we're back to square one again. And blaming the clients is also the thing that I find so disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, that idea of somehow, oh, the client's resistant. Well, hold on a second. What what What's happening with you, Treater? What drug addict isn't resistant? I mean, I, I've never yeah. met a drug addict who isn't you, resistant. But, you know, the blaming of them for it. Look, is, I, our government is blaming Californians for all of their shortfalls. That's so true. Water, electricity, mm-hmm. forestry, homelessness. They're blaming us for their inability to do their effing job. 100%. And this is a prime example of that. Exactly. They just will not change direction. Bureaucrats, that's the enemy of the day because they can't change direction. They can't look at things objectively. They can't listen to people that actually know what they're talking about. They just have an agenda and that's the agenda and it's killing people right it now is. in California particularly. It is. So we're we're coming we're coasting towards the end of our, our time. Uh, is there other things we need? Did I miss anything in terms of uh, controversies or issues in uh, drug treatment. I, I would just say, you know, for those of you who are looking for treatment out there, well, here's the other thing. I guess we got to talk about this. Um, so many people come to me with, uh, you know, desperate stories, polydiagnosed, et cetera, et cetera, and then no resources for care. Exactly. What, what do we do with those folks? Well, for for one thing, you know, you have to really dial down who, what your resources are, and what you're going to be giving these people. No, and, no I mean, but the, from the patient family side, um, not from, our side. Oh, from the patient. You mean in, what in, they need to in, do? In, right. In other words, they're like, I, you know, they're they're literally describing somebody who needs six months of care, and I have I have no money and no insurance. Now what? <laughs> Help right. me. I'm like, right. ah. it's really it's really hard. You know, um, the National Alliance of the NAMI. Have you ever reached out to them or no? I work with them. I don't know if they're they have they funds. have well they have um, ability to answer. Very specific questions, okay. just like Nash- this. Okay, National Alliance for Mentally Ill, do that. That's yes, one resource. that's one. And you could call them. I mean, obviously, we all know about Al-Anon and AA and Narcotics Go to meetings. Anonymous Go to meetings. Do that. Raise your hand. But, say, I need help. What do you guys have? Anything, yeah, I anything mean, in the community here? But oftentimes, you know, the people that reach out to me are probably you or people that are completely burnt out and been through – you know, it, it, it's often family reaching out to me, and so the I families. so they always say, "Here's the one thing you can do. I'll do anything. I'll do anything." Okay, I'm 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 ordering you, not recommending. I'm ordering you to do one thing. 
There's this thing called Al Anon. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What can I do for my, my loved one? No, right, right. 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 <sighs> but you, if you go to one Al Anon, you might learn how to, how to do You'll that. You'll change the dance, ladies and gentlemen. You'll change your dance with the identified patient. Yeah. So, I mean, those are, unfortunately, you know, there isn't a lot. There really isn't. And what I've noticed I, I, with the there, pandemic, there, it's worse I know. than ever. But there are a lot of little. <laughs> I wish I had some sort of, but there's. I know of lots of little funds out there. You know, I think uh, the comedy community is now developing a sort of yeah. musician's assistance program. Absolutely, have that. and there yeah. are all these little sources out there to want to help and fund. I don't know a centralized place where people can go to. I, you know, what, what can I get access to? It's shocking that that doesn't exist. Uh, we it, need I to mean, create that. I, I think mean, that, that is, that's needed. All right, and that is and that is why we do above ground the the uh, the event. That above ground is another one. It's is, another resource that people is, don't know about. Is, is there exactly a website right. with above, above ground? There is not. Yeah. But. Um, I'll get on that. <laughs> okay, but, but maybe above ground could be the central place. Well, that's I mean, what I we say, go to above ground. They have every. I, they, even if you fund just somebody to go pull it all together in one spot and keep Absolutely. it updated, that'd yeah. be a massive it would service. Be, it would be so helpful. Just to, do that. Just to, let, let above ground be that. It would be. I mean, you know, that is amazing. what it is anyway. We just don't have that hub in place yeah. because it's it's an annual event. And yeah, yeah, it yeah, Requires yeah. so many people to put it on, but yeah. you know, we've raised. So much money that has gone directly to patients who need to get a, into but, a. But bed. I'm saying fund a an employee whose job it is to go collate all these resources and up keep up the you know yeah. keep checking in Absolutely. on to make sure it's there. I anyway, have someone. In, I have actually somebody in mind <laughs> that we might want to use to be able to do that Great. because I think Great. it's. I agree with you. Today has been a success. We're going to change it's, the landscape we're of recovery. It. I mean, like even now with. I mean, we haven't even talked about the COVID pandemic because the overdose death rate, you know, I mean, um, skyrocketed, as we all know, um, 93,000. But without getting into all of that, that said, I've been working with frontline health workers, ER docs that are in, you know, the emergency rooms, helping them with their trauma. I work with um, GAP Create 19, which is... Dr. Nancy Sobel, and we have a whole bunch of mental health people that get in there and do over Zoom, you know, EMDR, havening work, helping because it's so traumatizing the people on the front lines oh, yeah, yeah. that yeah, are well, witnessing. They feel helpless. They feel helpless. Mm-hmm. And the entire planet has just experienced a massive trauma. I mean, yeah. let's, and not, let's not forget that, yeah. you know, and, that, and I think that everybody uh, in the world can identify with having their lives turned upside down yep. and shattered. Yep. Well, it's been a privilege and a pleasure, and I so appreciate you guys coming in and inaugurating this great desk, which is a and it's a perfect conversation to have at this lovely desk that our friend at at pins underscore tails pins underscore tails follow him. He is a worthy gentleman, and uh, I owe him a dinner or something for (laughs) having changed this room in a much much more positive way. And uh, for you guys, last last shots again. It's uh, reddoor.life. Dave, anywhere you want people to show up. Not necessarily. Well, the 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 if they could, they want to come to the concert in December. Okay, or? so at Dave Navarro on Instagram, and I will put any event that is upcoming, and Doctor Drew will be there as great. well, and um, and then we'll get on that because uh, we are yeah, what is it? It's our five hundred one C three. Yeah, that's yeah, what we that's are. what we are too. So we're a five hundred one C three, and that we are putting together a show as we speak for December. I'll get you the date, but uh, come down and support and help people get into treatment. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. 
For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Matrix, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free.